Well, good morning, Forefront. It's so good to be with you guys this morning. Thanks for joining us today. If you're tuning in online and you're new with us, my name is Drew, and we're so glad that you're spending your Sunday with us. Hey, guys, if you have your Bibles, let's grab those. And we'll open up to the, open up to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you've been with us the past few weeks, we've kicked off a series called Reset. And we're talking about coming out of 2020, out of this crazy year where a lot of us are bogged down, we, we feel tired, we just feel a little bit out of sorts. And like your computer when it's running slow, like your phone when apps aren't working, like Mario Kart when it freezes up, sometimes you just need to hit the reset button. And so we're saying new year, new goals. How do we hit reset and become the people that we, God is creating us to be? And I think a lot of times when we come into a new year, we think, well, what can I change? What, what do I need to get better at this year? How can I get better? Can I get more healthy? Can I eat better? Can I work out more? Can I get more sleep? Can I read more books? And that's a good question to ask. How do we change things? But I think the better question to ask is, God, who do you want me to be? God, who are you working in and through me to become? And so we're talking about how do we hit the reset button in areas of our life so we can live out this life that Jesus brings us. And so we've talked about resetting our focus, about the things that we pursue in life. We've talked about resetting our time and eliminating hurry to stop rushing, to slow down. We've talked about uh, resetting our friendships. Last week, we talked about re relationships. If you, if you weren't uh, here last week, go back and listen to that. We see this beautiful picture of friendship between David and Jonathan in the book of 1 Samuel. And today, as we close our series, we're going to talk about resetting a topic that sometimes gives us a little tension on Sundays, our money. So I've titled my message for today, Resetting the Equation. You know, sometimes when we talk about money on Sunday mornings, it's not our most favorite topic. Sometimes we feel like Bernie, right? You know, we're just not sure, right? We're just not really sure how we feel. It's a little tense, right? I think sometimes we, we, we you know, we, we listen to Dave Ramsey podcast on a weekday, but Sunday, yeah, let's just leave my Sundays alone. I don't want to talk about money as much, but it, it really is interesting. Money is one of those things that we all are going to face. We're all going to deal with that, that create tension and anxiety in our lives. And so it, when it comes to our spiritual lives, money is a very important topic. And Jesus has a, a lot to say about our money. And especially as we think about how do we come into a new year with new goals and set new expectations to become the people God wants us to be. We can't gloss over money and our finances. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys, we, we said last week that 50%, between 50 and 75% of people set goals and resolutions. How many of you, let's be honest, we're all friends. How many of you, as you were setting a goal, talking to a friend or to a spouse about your hopes and expectations and dreams for 2021, talked about money? Nobody? Two? Two people? Okay, I guess it's just me. I think when you're talking about your expectations for a new year, though, we tend to say things like this. This year, I want to I get out of debt. This year, I want to save more. My kids are getting older. I want to put more money in a 529. This year, I need to quit spending so much money on baseball cards, right? Like, I just need to change some of my spending. We say things like, I need to start giving. I need to be more generous. I feel like I want to do these things. But here's the reality. You have a heart that says, I want to do something different with money. But if you don't have a plan to do something different with that money, then it's not ultimately 
going to work out. It's like Antoine de Saint-Exupéry says, that a goal without a plan is just a wish. And if we come into this year and we don't have a plan, it's going to end up looking like last year and like the year before and the year before. Failing to plan is planning to fail, and you won't accomplish 100% of the goals you don't set. So a lot of us, we say, well, this year I'm going to do better with my money. That's a good plan. You say, this year I'm going to make more and I'm going to spend less. That's a good plan. But is it a plan? I don't think it really is. I think for us, we have to actually come up with a strategy that's going to help us to change the equation, to reset our finances. And so that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to camp out on this idea. And Jesus says this. Jesus says that it is more blessed to give than to receive. See, a lot of times we think about our money from the perspective of the income part of the equation. But I think what Jesus tells us is we need to flip the equation. We need to reset the equation so we can understand what it looks like to live the abundant life that Jesus came to bring. So Jesus says we need to focus more on the giving side of the equation than the income side. So here's what I want to do. I want us to camp out in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 for a, for a few minutes. And in 2 Corinthians 8, we see this really a beautiful picture of the Apostle Paul showing us what it looks like to hit reset financially and hit, to re, and to hit reset on the equation. And he's talking to the church in Corinth and he's giving them the example of a, of a group of churches that have done this very thing. So if you have your Bibles, look with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we'll be in verses 1 through 7 for most of our time this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthian church says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, and I can testify beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints." Verse 5, and this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that he had, as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Forefront, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the words of Paul. We thank you that we can come together today and uh, just open your word together to to sing songs that just uh, tie our affections and our hearts to you. And Lord, help us remember today of the love that you've shown us, the, the, the amazing, reckless love that you've shown us by sending your son Jesus here for us. Father, this was a big week the inauguration of a new president. So, Father, uh, we know that the last season was wild, wild, and there was so much political tension and conflict. But, Lord, we come together as the church to pray for our leaders. And so, Father, we pray for President Biden. We pray for Vice President Harris. Lord, we pray for all those new elected officials, Lord, that you move in their hearts and in their lives, Lord, to help them live and put together a plan that is going to benefit this nation and is going to help us to 
revive our hearts and our affections for you. So, Father, I pray that you do something mighty and you do something special over this next season. And, Lord, help us as your people here in this church, in Forefront Church, believers and Christians in America, to unite together and to point our eyes and our hearts to you, Lord, and to be the people you have called us to be. So this morning, as we talk about how do we hit reset on our finances and on our money, I pray you give us insight and wisdom and direction and that we leave today looking more like Jesus than when we came. And it's in Jesus' holy, strong name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So this week as I was preparing on this topic on, on generosity and how to reset our finances, I was just wanting to look back and see how often Jesus, does Jesus talk about money because it feels like it's a lot. And so looking back over the course of the New Testament, it's really interesting. Jesus had a lot to say about money. You know, Jesus loved to teach in parables. He loved to tell stories. And it, almost half, nearly half of all of Jesus' parables had something to do with money or generosity. It's really interesting. In, in the synoptic, synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see that Jesus talks about money every six, one out of every six verses. That's over 15%. In the New Testament as a whole, one out of every seven verses has to do with money. So if you look at the Bible as a whole, you'll see that 500 verses in the Bible talk about prayer. Less than 500 talk about faith. How many do you think talk about money? 2,000. Jesus and the, the writers of God's word talk about money a lot. So I think it's important that we see how much impact finances and money have in our lives. It, it, it's interesting. Sometimes people will say to me, they'll, 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 they'll misquote the, the Bible verse, and they'll say, well, money is bad because money is the root of all evil. The Bible doesn't necessarily say that. The Bible says that money is a root of all types of evil. So, so money isn't evil. Money is neutral. See, what happens is it depends on what we do with money. You see, all kinds of godly people had money, but God used them in amazing ways. You see, plenty of godly people didn't have money, but yet God used them in amazing ways. So money is neutral. It's what we do with money that makes it evil. So it, it, it really it is a love for money that is the bad aspect of money. And so when you look at what Jesus actually had to say about money, he says things that are really interesting like this. He says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance, an abundance of possessions. Jesus says, do not store for yourself treasures on earth. Jesus says this. He says, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and desires for other things come in and choke the world, making it unfruitful. So at first glance, you're like, Jesus, you just don't like money. But that's not what he's saying. You got to see at a foundational level what Jesus is saying is that we just need to watch out because money has the ability to steal our hearts. That money has the ability to, to cause us to not become the people that God wants us to be. That at a foundational level, Jesus is saying, watch out. Use your money well because money is a temptation to lead you down the wrong path. It says, one author says, money is like manure. If you stack it up, it stinks. If you spread it out, it helps things grow. I think that's a pretty good explanation of money, right? And so we talk about hitting reset this year and asking God to help us become the people that he wants us to be. We have to ask the question, are we using money in a way that helps us to become the man, the woman, the son, the daughter of God that God has created us to be? Or is the way we use our money sending us the opposite direction? 
So that's why I want to camp here in 2 Corinthians, because I think Paul gives us a beautiful picture of what it looks like to hit reset on our finances. So let's look here. Look with me back to verse 1. Paul says this. He says that we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Apostle Paul, if you know much about the Apostle Paul, he was a church planter and a missionary. That was what he did. And so he went out on missionary journeys, planted churches, went along to strengthen churches, encourage churches. And so he went on three missionary journeys before his final trip back to to Rome, ultimately where he would lose his life. And so on the third missionary journey, one of Paul's really um, objectives was to take up a collection, an offering for the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had fallen on really hard times. Many people uh, who were in that Hebrew Jewish culture became Christians and were outcasted from their families. They were let go from their jobs. They were really in bad financial situations. So Paul says, I'm going to take up a collection and I'm going to do this among the new church plants. I'm going to take them back to Jerusalem. So Paul goes out and starts talking about this collection. Apparently, the Corinthians said they wanted to take part. They, they, they did the faith promise, they were excited, but something happened, and they didn't keep their promise. See, the Corinthian church, if you've read 1 Corinthians, was in a mess. They went through all kinds of difficult situations. They had division, they had, they had false teachers, they had just unchecked adultery that was going on in the church, and that was just dividing them, and it was really messy. And all of the problems that the church in Corinth had kept them from this idea of being generous. And so they put this idea of giving to this offering on the back burner. So Paul picks up his pen here, and he writes to the church in Corinth. So it's like Warren Wiersbe says. He says this. He says that when a church is not spiritual, it's not generous. The Corinthian church wasn't spiritual. It was messy. And so Paul was like, look, let me give you an example of these churches in Macedonia who are doing something special for God. They've hit reset on their finances. And he gives us this beautiful picture of these three churches. So if you want to know who are the Macedonians, it was the church in Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, and the church in Berea. Those were the three. And so if we look close enough, we're going to see Paul shows us how to hit reset. Look with me back to verse 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2. Paul says this, For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy... And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So we're going to see three ways that we can hit reset financially. Here's the first one. We can hit reset by recognizing that your situation doesn't dictate your generosity. That we, we start to hit reset by, by taking our eyes off of our situation and realizing that our situation doesn't determine whether or not we can be generous. So I think this is important for us. This is a great starting place because... I think we have a habit of tying our situation to the ability to be generous. We look and we say, man, my situation is just messy. My, my debt situation is not good. I've made bad financial choices. I've done things that are going to be difficult for me to be generous. But one day, right? How many of us have said that? But one day, I hope to be able to be generous. I hope to be able to give And I think there's this picture that holds us back. We say, man, I can't do anything right now. But God is telling us here by showing us the the, the church in Macedonia that that isn't the case, that, that, that we don't have to determine our generosity based on our current situation. Look at the church in Macedonia. They were going through really difficult situations. Paul says that, that they were in a severe test of affliction and they had extreme poverty. So you wonder what's going on at these churches, right? What's going on in Macedonia? 
Well, commentators will, will say that in Macedonia, this was a very pagan Greek culture, um, and the, the, basically the Christians started these churches, people began getting saved, and, and they just, just like in Jerusalem, they stood out like a sore thumb. And so people started to lose their jobs, they got denied from the trades, right? So the things that people did to make a living, they were no, no longer able to do it. And so they were in this really difficult time of persecution, and financially, they were extremely poor. They had lost their jobs, and they're just barely hanging on. And so we, we see this picture that they were at rock bottom, but yet they gave. They, they, they found this opportunity outside of their situations to give the relief and to be generous. I read a story this week about a church in India, in Mizoram, India, very, very extremely poor part of India. The average income in the region of Mizoram is $300 a year, 300 a year. So they make a dollar a day, less than a dollar a day. And so there is this, if you think of, of India, it's very Hindu, there's, very, uh, there's Buddhist regions. About 3 to 6% of India is Christian over as a whole. But in this area of Mizoram, there's about a half million Christians that live in this area. And so in 1910, a missionary came in, and the church decided that they wanted to do something for the missionary. But remember, it's very, very poor, very, very agrarian, $300 a year. And so they said, how can we bless this missionary? So they came up with this plan, and they said, for every cup of rice we eat, we're going to donate a cup of rice. And so they would take that cup of rice, and they would compile it together, and they would take it to the market and sell it, and then that would be the amount of money they would give to the missionary to bless them. And they realized hold on a second, this works. And so for the last 110 years, this is what they've done. Every time they eat rice, and in that agrarian culture they eat, that's one of their main staples, they give a cup of rice, they sell it. Here's what's beautiful. This church in Mizoram, India, has been able to give over a, a, a million dollars to missions and has sent 1,700 missionaries to Asia and other parts of the world off of $300 a year. Why? Because they live by the principle that says, if you have something to eat, you have something to give. See, something powerful happens when we step out outside of our situation and we see that God has given us, given us the ability to give, the ability to be generous, the ability to give something. Something special happens when you give sacrificially. Just think about the most applauded giver in the entire Bible. If you guys know the story, Jesus and the fellows are hanging out at the temple courts, and they're standing there, and Jesus is teaching them a lesson, and they see the, the wealthy Jewish people come to the temple and make their donations. And you know, you know the story, they're blowing a trumpet, right? They're, they're making sure everybody sees them walking with their gold purse, and they're going to drop it into the offering plate. So Jesus looks at those guys, and he says, see, those guys, they're giving a lot of money, but they're not going to miss any of it. But then comes along this lady... And she gives two coins, two mites, as we see. A mite is three-eighths of one cent, right? Three-eighths of a cent. So she gives two, I mean, what is that? Six-sixteenths. Somebody do the math, right? She gives less than half a, a penny, basically, to the offering plate. And Jesus applauds her and says, look what she did. See, she's going to miss what she gave. Out of her poverty, she sacrificially gave something great. And so we just see this really beautiful picture of what it looks like to give no matter what your situation looks like. 
You know, C.S. Lewis has this quote that just punches me in the gut every time in the book Mere Christianity. Here's what he says. He says, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Ah, dagger. That hurts. Because what do we do? I know for me, I look at my budget and I go, well, this is going to be the comfortable number, right? Based on my situation, this is what's going to be comfortable. This is what I know I can, I can spare. C.S. Lewis says, you got to take it to another level because it needs to be sacrificial. It needs to sting a little bit. See, that's what Paul says about these Macedonians. Look back at verse 3. Notice what it does. Notice what Paul says. He says, for they gave according to their means. And as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. So I think sometimes we'll ask the question, okay, God, how much do you want me to give? Right? Like, okay, God, I need to give. How much do you want me to give? What, what can I give to be generous? What classifies me as generous? But here's what's interesting. Jesus never tells us. Jesus leaves you guessing a little bit because he wants it to be from your heart. Jesus doesn't want it to be just some easy check-the-box thing. Jesus never gives us the answer. So we see this picture of Jesus saying it's, it's, it's more blessed to give than to receive and don't, don't you know, monger and hoard your treasures on earth, but stack treasure in heaven. And Paul gives us this picture here that we're to give according to your heart and in proportion to what you have. But Paul says, sometimes there comes a time where God puts something on your heart, where God leads you to a place, where God puts this burning in your chest to give beyond. And that's what was happening here at the Macedonian churches, that they, God had put something on their heart that they wanted to take a part in. Paul, another chapter later in 2 Corinthians 9, says this in verse 7. He says this, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful giver. That word cheerful, it's actually translated as hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. God wants you to love giving so much that you laugh when you do it. Now, a lot of us, we go, we kind of, we don't laugh. We kind of flinch, right? We're like, okay, I guess I'll do it. God wants us just to giggle when we give. We're going to coin that, right? Giggle giving, right? There's this idea here that God puts something on your heart, and he wants you to step into it and not look at your situation to determine whether you can or you can't. I've got a beautiful story I want to tell you guys, and it's amazing. And a couple of you, I couldn't resist, and I've shared it, but I want to share it with the church. I'm going to share it in two parts, so you're going to feel like there's no ending to this, but it's coming. Just wait. So about two months ago, three months ago, Oscar Palencia, the, the founder and um, that gentleman that runs Building Guatan Guatemala, was here. How many of you guys were here that day? Do you guys remember when Oscar was on stage? A group of you. So Oscar came in, and we had Oscar share on stage about what God is doing through building Guate in Guatemala, and God is doing some amazing things. I've shared with you before, and I know many of you are praying for building Guate as they're one of our missions partners, but they serve a very, very, very poor and afflicted area in Guatemala, and they've built a ministry around a trash dump where they're feeding and providing housing, birthing center, malnutrition center, church, water, bathhouse, restrooms, all of this for this community. So when COVID hit back in March and April, uh, Oscar was sharing that it was a really challenging time because the, basically people were starving. People were just hungry and there was no food. And so they had to make this determination because all the government operations were shut down that they were going to shift everything they did and focus on feeding people. And so rather than one soup kitchen a week, they went to three. And what they started doing is just buying food in bulk uh, by the pallet load and sending people home with bags of food. 
And they started this around Easter time. And Oscar said, I don't know how we're going to do this, but we're just going to trust God and we're going to keep going and keep going. And God was, a, was amazing. Checks kept coming in, checks kept coming in, and they were able to keep doing it. So Oscar was here back in October sharing what God was doing and, you know, just encouraged by that. So we go to lunch. A few of us went to lunch with Oscar. And we're hanging out at the dinner, at the lunch table with Oscar. And we're like, Oscar, how's it going, man? Like, you know, it sounds like God's doing some really good things. How's it going? And he stopped. And you could tell he was welling up a little bit. And he said, to be honest, things are really hard. He said, we have been trusting God, just feeding people, loving on people, sharing Jesus with people. He said, but the reality is that we've spent our entire budget for next year and we're out of money. And I said, well, Oscar, what are we talking here? How much? What are we talking here? He said, we need about $120,000 to keep going. I said, man, that's a big number. And so we prayed for Oscar, and I know we left, that, we left that lunch, and God was just like really mixing us up in our hearts, and we're thinking, that's a big number, and they're doing some amazing things. What can we do? Can we play a part in this? And we start thinking, maybe we can do, we've got a beautiful, generous church here at Forefront. Maybe we can do something. Maybe we can do a love offering, a special offering, raise $5,000, maybe 10, maybe try to make a dent and extend them for a couple months. But what we saw in Oscar was somebody who just said, I am not going to look at my situation and think, how do we keep this ministry going? I'm going to love people. I'm going to sow that seed in a point of need, and I'm going to be the person God calls me to be, even if it means that we're going to run out of money and our ministry is going to be over. We saw this idea of sacrificial giving, of seeing opportunities where God is moving and not being stuck by looking at our past situations. And see, I think this is what, what we see is that although how hard this is, how difficult it is, God teaches us something really beautiful, that when you give beyond your ability, God will bless you beyond your ability. Remember back to verse 2? Look back at verse 2. What's going on in Macedonia? Notice verse 2. It says that they were battling a severe test of affliction, that they were experiencing extreme poverty but what? There's something that is not like the others in this verse. They were experiencing an abundance of what? Joy. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in a severe test of affliction and experiencing extreme poverty, typically you don't feel joy. You feel anxiety. You feel stress. You feel depressed. You feel panic. But they felt joy. How could they feel joy? Because of God's grace. Because they gave and God blessed them back. As we pour in, God pours back into us. Paul says this right after he talks about us being hilarious givers. Look what he says in 2 Corinthians 9.11. He says, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Think about that. God will enrich you to be generous. You may say, I don't have anything. God enriched you to be generous still. You may say, I have a lot. God enriched you to be generous. Whether you have a little or you have a lot, God wants it to be from your heart. It's not about an amount. It's about from your heart. Like Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than receive. And God does something special when we just open up our hands and become generous. I love this quote by C.S. Spurgeon. He says this. He says, in all my years of service to my Lord, I have discovered a truth that has never failed and has never been compromised. That truth is that it is beyond the realm of possibilities that one has the ability to outgive God. Even if I give the whole of my worth to him, he will find a way to give back to me much more than I give. It's a beautiful picture. We give to God 
and he blesses us back. So the second way we hit reset when it comes to our finances is we hit reset by looking for opportunities to join in on what God is doing. We have to look around and see what is God doing. Look back at verse 3 again. He says it's about the church in Macedonia. It says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. That word own accord, it translates as willingly. So they were willingly giving. They wanted to give. It wasn't that Paul came in and said, hey, I want you to give. No, they said, we want to give. Notice verse 4. Actually, they begged Paul to give. They begged earnestly for the favor. They were asking, Paul, please let us give. Let us give. See, during Paul's missionary journey, he starts in Galatia, which is in Turkey, the Galatians. starts this collection. He gets to Macedonia, and many scholars think that he looks at the church in Macedonia and sees, wow, these guys are really in bad shape. These guys are poor. And he doesn't even mention the collection to the church, to Philippi and Thessalonica and in Berea. He doesn't even mention it to them. But they find out, and they call up Paul, and they're like, Paul, why didn't you tell us, man? Like, let us be in on this. Give us, and give us a, 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 the ability to be a part of what you're doing. They were looking for opportunities. And I, I think it's because they understood that something special happens when we're willing. When we're willing to say, God, I'm going to put you first. When we're willing to say, God, what are you doing in me? And see, I think there's a principle here for us. If you ever see a generous person, you meet somebody who's generous, typically they didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to start being generous. Typically, something happened to them where they experienced generosity and they wanted to show generosity. And that's what the church in Macedonia did. They experienced the generosity of Jesus, of God, and they wanted to show that generosity to others. So I think one of the challenges that we have, though, in our culture, one of the challenges that we face is that we get too distracted to see what God is doing. And we get too distracted to see the opportunities that God puts in front of us. I mean, you just think about we live in the age of distractions, right? We carry it around with us all day. We touch it 2,617 times a day. We live in a world where there's enough things to entertain us into oblivion, right? Whether it's sports, like games later on tonight, whether it's binge-watching Netflix shows, whether it's just clicking through Amazon, whatever it is. And we got the, you know, the greatest distraction among in the, behind us in the mountains, which is beautiful. It's a good distraction, but it's still a distraction. And what happens when you get distracted? You miss what is going on around you. As we said a couple weeks ago, as Ron Rollheiser says, that we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. So the old saying still stands, out of sight, out of mind. If you're not seeing what God's doing in your life, if you're not remembering how God's worked in your life, then you're going to miss opportunities to take part in the way that God is moving in your life. And so you may be at this place right now where you feel like you don't have an abundance of joy, rather you have a lack of joy, where you feel dry, you feel like something is missing. Could it be that you've been too distracted? Could it be that you've stopped watching what God is doing? Could it be that you no longer are remembering who you used to be? By the grace of God, I am not who I am, but I am not who I once was. We have to continually remind ourselves of what God is doing. See, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that we shouldn't store up treasures in heaven, or on earth, but rather store up treasures in heaven. And he says this. He says, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. 
And so you want to find out what you're treasuring, you look at where you spend your money. You want to know where your heart is, you look at where you are spending, where you are sending, what you are giving to. And so God is calling us into something bigger than ourselves. And generosity, Jesus tells us, directs our hearts and ties our affections to him and what he is doing. And this leads us to our third point. It's this, that we hit reset by striving daily to live open-handed. That we actually have to strive. This isn't something that ever comes natural. We have to strive to live open-handed. So let's read verse 5 and then we'll be done. Verse 5, Paul says this, And this, talking about the Macedonian church, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. This phrase, they gave first to the Lord, really jumps out to me. Because it's, it's saying that they put God first. That they saw what God was doing, that was primary in their lives, and that is what they wanted to focus on first. And I think this is the countercultural nature, nature of the gospel this is the counter-cultural nature of the kingdom of God, of the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus came and said, I came to bring you the abundant life. And you live the abundant life by loving God, loving your neighbor, making disciples, and by giving more of yourself than you take. That's how you live the abundant life. But yet for us, in our culture, we tend to fall for a different, different gospel. It's what John Mark Comer calls the gospel of America where the gospel of America says, actually, to live the happy life, it's all based on the, mo- on the more you can accumulate. The more you have, the happier you'll be. You see the difference? Jesus says, give away and you'll be blessed. Our culture says, you'll be blessed when you take. But there's a divide. There's something that we miss here. So I think the biggest issue that most of us face when it comes to this idea of resetting financially and generosity is this idea of contentment. We say, I, I, I have to focus on contentment, and my contentment's going to come from me, from putting me first, and from what I can get my hands on, or making sure that I'm safe and secure and comfortable. But Jesus says, no, 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 contentment comes a different way. Contentment comes from putting Jesus first. That's the way of the kingdom of God. So I think this is where we, the rubber meets the road. This is where we have to flip the equation. Because I think if, if a lot of, you, you just took our culture as a whole and you put us all in a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class and said, lay down your budget and let's see how you do money. Here's what we're going to find. Let me show you. This is the formula. Let me walk you through it. Here's what, how most of us live. We say, I'm going to take what I make. I'm going to subtract out what it costs me to live. That's mortgage. That's rent. That's car payment. That's food. That's Netflix. That's whatever. And then whatever's left Out of that bucket, I'm going to save and I'm going to give. This is typical. This is the way that our culture leads. This is the way that makes sense to us. And so we live this way. But what happens when the oven goes out, when the car breaks down, when the gutter comes off the house, right? What happens when you need to fix something that unexpected doctor bill, the the tuition for kids, college? Where does that money come from? It comes from the save and give bucket, right? So what happens after you spend the save and give bucket? There's not much left, is there? And we tend, we don't mean to, but we tend to give God our leftovers. But what if we flipped the equation? What if we did something different? What if the equation looked more like this? What if we took what we made, we had a plan on what we were going to give, we had a plan on what we were going to save, and we based what we lived on after those two? What happens if we flipped 
the equation and reset the equation. Now, the first time I I, I saw this, here's how I felt, right? I think you feel like you're at a drawing board and you're like, how do I do this, right? How does it work? This equation is like something in calc two. I have no idea even how to make this happen in my budget, but I think what God is saying is we have to check our hearts and see what God is doing. And you might say, but Drew, you don't know my situation. I don't. But Drew, you don't know my debt situation. I've made some really bad choices. Okay. But Drew, you don't understand how difficult 2020 has been with COVID and job loss and job change and hours cut. It's been so hard. I'm not dismissing any of this. But what I'm saying is God tells us that when we put give on the front end of the equation rather than live, something changes. And God can do more in your life with your 90% than you can with your 100. And so God is saying, you want to flip the equation if you want to truly live out the kingdom of God. It seems backwards, yes. It seems like a paradox, yes. Yes. But isn't that the kingdom of heaven? C.S. Lewis says this. The only thing we can keep are the things we freely give. And so this is where the heart shift has to happen. Back to the story on Oscar, and I'll close with this. So Oscar tells us this. We're really stirred up trying to figure out what we can do. How, how do we help? How do we step in? Oscar's just sacrificially given everything to the people in Guatemala. Oscar tells us that he is going to have a fundraiser. He's going to do a fundraiser, and he's going to try to raise money, and he's just going to see what happens. And if they don't raise any money, that just means that God is moving them in a different direction, and they're going to close their ministry down, and they're going to go do something different. And so we start praying, and we're not really sure what to do, so we start talking about it. So the next Sunday, one Sunday later, I'm in church, and we're back in the Sermon on the Mount. We're teaching, talking. Church gets out, and I look over, and uh, a family at Forefront says, hey, Drew, can I talk to you for a second? So I was like, yeah, let's go talk in the lobby, whatever. So we go out in the lobby and talk. One week after Oscar had just shared here, remember, on stage, Oscar said nothing about finances. One week later, this family walks up to me and hands me a check. I look on that check and there's five zeros on that check. $100,000. I look down in the memo line, it says, missions. Seven days after Oscar had just told us they were $120,000 short. Here's a check in my hand for $100,000. So I asked the family I, a little later, I said, tell me what God was doing. How, how did God stir this up? And I, I even said, did you, know, did you take note of Oscar when he was here last week? And he said, no, I, you know, we saw Oscar, but you know, we didn't think anything about it. But we got home. God began to stir up something in us. See, a really terrible situation had happened in their life that turned into them being blessed as a part of that. And they said, we want to flip the blessing. And we want through this blessing to bless somebody else. So send this to the missionaries. And we're just flabbergasted. And so Oscar tells us they're going to do this fundraiser. So we decide we're going to have a little fun, right? Because Oscar doesn't know yet, right? We're like so giddy, we can't even stand it. But Oscar doesn't know yet. So Oscar says, hey, would anybody be willing to do a match on a donation? Maybe up to $50,000. We said we would. So we call Oscar and we let him know, hey, we'd be glad to match up to 50. And so Oscar's like, man, that's incredible. I mean, it's amazing. So they do this fundraiser and we're all on that night, you know, just chatting back and forth, having fun. So they raised $100,000 that night. 
our 50 match, they raised another 50, right? So then we call Oscar. We're like, hey, Oscar, I know we told you we'd match up to 50. We were just kidding. We've got 100. Oscar went from being 120 down to 150,000 up. God is so far ahead of us. God sees when we give sacrificially, he's going to bless. He's going to give back. When we're generous, God's going to pour it back onto us. And forefront, he allowed you and I to be a part of that. He allowed us to be the avenue where that came through. And I look around and I, and I think how amazing it is that God allowed us to be a part of that story. You know, forefront, this has been a hard year. These last 12 months have been so hard, but you have been so faithful and you've been so generous. And because of your giving, we've been able to send missionaries around the globe. We've been able to feed hungry families in Guatemala, feed hungry families in Denver. We've been able to send missionaries to the most difficult parts of India and China, the Middle East. We've been able to plant churches in Utah in other parts of Colorado, all because of your generosity. All of that is made possible because of what you guys let pass through you. God does something special. So here's just my encouragement to us. No matter where we find ourselves right now, no matter how difficult your situation is, no matter how ugly your debt situation is or how bleak your financial income situation looks, when we reset the equation, when we hit reset on our finances and realize that it's not about our situation, but we look for opportunities to give, no matter how big or how little, God will use you and me to change the world. So I want to end with Paul's encouragement to the church in Corinth to us. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So forefront, let's become the people and the church that God created us to be. Let's pray.